I'm excited to welcome this week's Tierra Talk Show guest, Angela Landis, to the show. Welcome, Angela. Hi, thanks for having me. It's really interesting because I really haven't seen any written material or video footage, nothing behind the scenes of this one film in particular I remember seeing when I was younger, and I remember it made like a a huge impact on me, Bicentennial Man. And I think it's it's such an unusual film for its time period. And also, it really resonates with today. I, I can't really explain it, but I'm really glad to have you on the show because I really wanted a perspective of somebody who was actually on set for this enormous film that was made. So for those who have not seen the film, would you mind giving like a, a little summary of the film itself? Yeah, I mean, essentially, it's it's based on the book I, Robot by Isaac Asimov, which, you know, was also made into a movie, I think, starring Will Smith. Mm-hmm. Um, so this was the, you know, the first film version of it. And, you know, it follows, it's really a story of humanity. So you're right, it's totally relevant today. And it kind of reminds me of some of like the Black Mirror stuff and the Electric Dreams show and, you know, things like that. Like, what is it that really makes us human? Um, so Robin Williams in the movie plays a robot that basically over, gosh, I think it's the course of 100 years, um, works. Technology is such that he can actually become a human. And so it's sort of that whole arc of him. Um, and then the family that he, first of all, that like owns him as their robot servant. Um, and then he connects with one of the daughters and then it's even more important for him to become human and understand feelings, you know, firsthand. Uh, it's also, I mean, you know, the humanity of it all, like those stories always appeal to me anyway is what is it that makes us like real and connect with each other and care about things? Because you can't, you know, those things are sort of intangible and you can't quantify them so specifically. So that's essentially what the story is about. I think it's almost a two and a half hour film, almost three hours. And, you know, (laughs) I will sit sit and watch it if it's on TV. Um, I have a DVD copy of it of it as well and I just really do adore the film it works in so many ways and then you know the film wasn't well received during its time of release which is understandable because of course you know every film's a little different like this one works and then it really doesn't work but it works and I I don't know how to explain it like it has this sense because not a lot of people even mention it when they were referring to a Robin Williams performance or something from Sam Neill, you know what I mean? So it's yeah. like, it's so unusual, I guess. I can't put my finger on it. Can you? <laughs> no. And like, that's what I remember, like, you know, getting, I had just moved to LA and I got cast and I was so excited to, you know, always a fan of Robin Williams and like grew up on Mork and Mindy and was so, I just thought for sure this movie was so amazing and would be such a hit. It, it was. It was very odd that it wasn't received as well as I thought it should have been. Um, and I don't know. Like, was it just a little too early for people? 
was there, what about the story just didn't connect? Or was it just that people have a hard time sitting through long movies because <laughs> our attention spans are so short? This was supposed to be big. This was supposed yeah. to really hit the market. A lot of people were supposed to watch it and really enjoy it. So it seems like it's this un this this hidden gem, basically. And we're coming on 20 years now since that film was released. So why don't you tell us about your audition process for the film and whether or not the, the child actress, I think her name was Lindsay Leatherman, yes. who also played your character, Grace, Miss Martin, um, at, at the age of nine. Why don't you tell us if like maybe you guys had to, you know, look alike or who was cast first, that type of thing. She was cast first, um, which was fine for me because that, I think that was one of one of the reasons I got the role was because they thought we looked very similar. Um, but there was a feature that they did have to alter. <laughs> um, I think it was, they didn't even notice until once I got to set, they were like, Oh, Lindsay's eyes are Brown and your eyes are blue. <laughs> oh, really? And so they immediately rushed me off to, um, an optometrist and got me a pair of Brown contact lenses and the problem was solved, like, within an hour. So <laughs> that was that was crazy. And, uh, like, it was one of those things, too, though, that my mom was like, oh, they had to change my sweet daughter's beautiful blue eyes. Uh, and I was like, mom, but it's cool. Now I have these brown contacts I can wear sometimes. They, we both had some sass about us that they thought was similar. Um, and I did, since she had shot most of her footage first, I had to watch her takes and, you know, try to emulate whatever mannerisms were coming through in her performance, which was also just a fun experience because I had just moved to L.A. Um, and the whole audition is, uh, is a whole other crazy story because literally I had maybe been here six months. Um, and, you know, back this was before all electronic submissions and, you know, I was doing everything I could to like hustle to get auditions. And that meant um, getting the breakdowns illegally. And I would, they would come every morning over this fax machine. And I, I, so I, I guess drove my picture down for this audition. And I tried to keep really careful records of like what I was submitting myself on. So if I got a call, I would know like, I could look up people and know who was involved and, you know, do my research. Um, but when this call came, for some reason, I couldn't, I couldn't remember, I couldn't find what I had submitted on. And they were trying to keep the project so secret. It was really hard to, like, get answers. And, um, and it, it was essentially, I, you know, I was so poor when I first moved here. When I got the audition and I couldn't figure out what it was for, I was like, oh, no, it's probably a dumb student film. Maybe I shouldn't waste the gas to go there. And then they told me that they wanted me to dr dress like a punk, um, you know, tough girl. And I was like, oh, okay, I'm going to go to this one because this one sounds fun. And I went to the first audition and I probably broke every audition rule. Like I brought in my purse as a prop and I dropped it and had my stuff spill all over. And like I exited in the middle of the scene and like slammed the door and, you know, I just broke any rule that you aren't supposed to do. And so after I did all that, I came back in and they were like, that was great. And you look like Lindsay who we've already cast. And they were like, do you know who plays the robot? And I was like, no, like I, this is a student film in my mind. And they were like, Robin Williams. And I was like, oh, I just blew it. And 
So I walked out of there thinking that I would never like, you know, hear from them again. And it was a couple weeks later, I got a call for the callback and the callback, they flew us up to San Francisco and there was two other girls that got a callback. And then the gentleman that played the boyfriend, he was there with us getting a callback though. He had no competition. So it looked, the odds were looking good for him. Um, and while we were all at the airport waiting, um, there was the flights were delayed because of some weather conditions. And the whole time, like I just was trying to stay in character and they were all like chit chatting and talking about stuff. Um, but I was like trying so hard to stay focused. And so by the time we get to San Francisco, we literally get picked up by a shuttle van at the airport. They drive us over to treasure Island where their sound stages and stuff were. And we walk in one at a time and I'm first and we audition and like I, you know, because the whole day was so long and crazy, there was no time to think about anything. And I was like, I'm just going to do the same thing I did before. <laughs> and, and then we literally got back in the car and left. And while we were in the van driving back to the airport, the um, guy, Scotty Wah, gets a call or a page, I should say. I think he had a phone because he was a fancy like stuntman guy that had all the fancy toys that none of us had. Um, he called and he had booked it. He booked it in the van while we were all, we were all still headed back to the airport. And so we all knew that one of us or our agents got the call. Um, and none of us had a phone. So as soon as we got to the airport, they all ran to the pay phones and called their representatives and they hadn't gotten a message. And so I knew right then I was like, I got it. Because if they haven't heard, they've called someone. And so I must have gotten it. And they were like, why don't you call your agent? And I literally was so poor. I didn't have any money in my wallet to make the call. And I didn't have a calling card. And so um, I was like, oh, I didn't want to say that. And I was like, oh, I, I forgot my, what I, you know, I made some excuse. And she was like, I'll call for you. And she was still sitting in this little phone booth. And we were all like, standing you know hovering over her and so I gave her my agent's number and she dialed and handed me the phone while she was still sitting in the phone booth and I was like hi Sid um yeah so I finished the audition and it went well and he was like yeah did they tell you anything and I was like no we're all just sitting here wondering what if you know what we're supposed to do and he was like you booked it and I was like oh that's really wonderful news because I was trying to not be excited and like rub it into their faces and it, you know it was just one of those really awkward moments and then I gave her the phone back and hung up and I was like yeah I guess I got it and so everyone was like oh congratulations and then like I turned around I walked away and I was like I started to cry I was so happy and then um the Scotty, Scotty came over to me and he was like, I'm so glad it was you because you were so sweet and so focused on like doing the part and everyone else was so distracted. Um, so that, that's the story. <laughs> so how long was your overall filming schedule? Like how was it a three month thing or was it even shorter than that? Um, for me, it was much shorter. And actually, you know, I think I'm only in like three scenes. So it really probably could have been a much shorter experience. But they basically had Scotty and I up in San Francisco for, I want to say it was like two to three weeks. Um, 
in because you know we would go in for different hair tests or wardrobe tests or makeup tests um and like i think they re-dyed his they bleached his hair then they dyed it back to brand like they changed his hair a whole bunch um and for me too they went through so many different changes they had wigs made and stuff that they then changed their mind on so that was a whole fun experience to go through all those kinds of tests but we were up yeah we were there for a few weeks and it was really fun because you know neither one of us had been to well he might have been to san francisco but it was my first trip and we would, you know, spend a few hours working on these, like, makeup or wardrobe tests, and then we'd have the rest of the day off. And so we would get to, like, we kind of wandered the city together and checked out, you know, all the sites. And then I think we only maybe shot a week of that time. There are a couple claims that the, there are different cuts of the film, basically, is what some of the claims say. So do you know if this is true? Like, were there additional scenes you did shoot that you did not see in the final cut? Not of me, though I do know that the script did change a lot. And I do... Um, this is a great area. Like, I don't know. I don't know anything firsthand, but I do know that, um, like, Wendy Crewson, who plays the my mom, mm-hmm. um, I know she had a whole, her role was much bigger, and she, her character was supposed to be there throughout the lifespan. But during the, well, like, like while I was there, writing changes were happening, and she got cut out. Um, and I remember the day that she was like upset about that. Um, and I don't really know why it happened. You know, it's not like they come tell us anything, but it did seem to be that, um, you know, I, I think, and this is just my perspective that sometimes too many cooks are in the kitchen and requesting changes. And I think when you have big stars, that, you know, everyone's trying to keep everyone happy. And so that's what it seemed like. Maybe changes were made for that reason. I think it would have probably been a better TV show because when you're going through 200 years with a character and their family, you only have so much time. And who are you trying to focus on? And it's basically Andrew because we're trying to see him grow as as a hum- from a robot to a human as we already spoke about. But how do you, you know form those relationships and show more of the characters around him. It seemed like it was basically little miss, the father, the, um, the, the architect of Andrew of being a human. Those were the three main characters, including Portia. There's only so much you can stuff in for a, for a 200 year time frame, And I think that works against the film. The connection he had with them and why the one was so strong with, um, with Little Miss, you know, to see the different dynamic and how it changed for all of them would have been very interesting. And I agree, a TV show would have been an amazing way to tell that story. Um, though it is so beautiful and cinematic, um, the way they did tell it. And oh, now I want to see both versions. It seems like you had a really entertaining time on set. So let's talk about your co-stars because we have Wendy, Robin, and Beth. You know, what was it like with that dynamic on set, including with the director, Chris Columbus? Um, you know what? It was a wonderful, wonderful experience. I mean, I feel so lucky to have had that be one of my first jobs in L.A. Um, and then, of course, I've expected everything to be so wonderful and you know, that doesn't always work out. But, um, like, Chris Columbus was 
amazing. And, you know, having it been my first experience, you know, uh, the director, he was so wonderful. He would come over and he would ask what I thought and he would tell me what he, how he saw the scene going. And like, it was, it was easy. And I think part of that too, is they say they just, they cast the right person for the role and then their job is easy. And so that's exactly how it went. There was never any confusion on what he wanted. I felt like he respected, you know, what I was bringing to the table. He, you know, is an, I mean, he's done some amazing films, um, but you know, he's a wonderful set leader. He's just so nice and, and articulate and kind that, so that was wonderful and set the tone for everything. And then, you know, Robin, of course, is amazing. And there was there was definitely moments when they would kind of shut down the set and he would um, kind of go off on one of his little comedy bits. And that was amazing to watch. Um, and then aside from that, like to have some, you know, intimate conversations with him, which were so lovely because he shared like his experiences when he was, you know, up and coming and doing stand up and you know, not quite as successful. So that was wonderful to hear, you know, a big star talk about being in the same position that I was in at the moment. He was just also wonderful. Like I remember, I, I think it was the premiere was maybe a year later. Um, and he immediately when he saw me, he was like, Angela, so good to see you. How are you? And you're like, oh my God, how do you even remember my name? You know? So, and that was lovely. Um, I, my mom got to meet him at the rap party. I took my mom to the rap party cause she was a huge fan and, you know, so proud of my first job in LA. So I took her. Um, and so, yeah, Robin is wonderful. Um, and Beth was so delightful and so sweet. Um, I, I, I think I only worked with her one day. Um, her and Wendy, I worked with on the same day and they were, they were just both so nice. Um, I probably spent most of my time with them in the like makeup trailer getting ready. So that was just lovely to have such, um, such experienced and kind and giving actresses like to kind of look up to on my first job. Um, and Sam Neill, man, I have always been a fan of his and it's so hard. I've worked with other actors. Um, you know, he didn't connect with us in the same way, but it's, I think what I've learned is that, you know, different actors have a different process of how they get into their roles. And so, you know, that, that was interesting to watch that he didn't, he didn't kind of bond with us in the same way, but to watch an actor of that caliber sort of prepare and get into his, whatever zone he needed to get into to work was, was also fun to watch. Um, Lindsay and, um, oh my God, Healy, um, Healy Eisenberg who was like a superstar of the moment with all those Coke commercials um, that they were just both adorable. I only crossed their paths a few times, but they were so sweet and so cute and just so happy to be working. It's so fun to see kid actors and like that joy of the experience that it's not a job to them yet. Well, did you get to keep any costumes or, or props from the film or were you um, given any gifts uh, by the director or Robin himself for the film wrapping? Um, Robin gave us um, a hat with the logo. Um, he gave us a jacket, like a nice jacket, since, you know, San Francisco is so blustery and drizzly. Um, it was this awesome, like, rain jacket. 
Um, he also gave us like a bound, this beautiful bound, like book of this with the script and like, oh. um, it kind of looks like a yearbook in a way with a beautiful cover and photo and he signed them. He was super generous. Like every time I swear, every time we showed up to set, there was some little present from him. So that was sweet. Do you still have the jacket? Do you use it at all? <laughs> um, I, you know, I do have the hat and the jacket. Both are a little worse for wear. And like my boyfriend will make fun of me if I wear them because they definitely look like they should have, you know, been donated or destroyed at this point because they're so worn out. But um, I do still have them. I just can't, you know, I can't part with them. <laughs> no, not at all. I don't, I don't expect you to. I just, it's nice to know that you still have them. O- overall, it's, again, it's been 20 years. Let's just not count the days. Um, <laughs> but what have you been up to since? Are you still acting? What What is your next project that we can look out for? Um, yes, I'm still acting. And, you know, sometimes it's exciting and big, big stuff. I think the last big thing I did was about a year ago, I was in Doubt, the Katherine Heigl, Laverne Cox, um, Elliot Gould show. It got canceled. Then they didn't think that they were going to air all of them. And then another network decided to air them all. So that was good. Um, I think I did Jane the Virgin last year as well. Um, I do a lot of indie stuff. And, you know, I've always kind of been a hustler. And so I also write and produce and direct my own things like I had my first feature come out two years ago so that was exciting and I'm working on my second feature right now which of course will star me like the last one did um so that it's just been fun to like learn the business from every angle and just constantly be working um yeah and I also produce videos for a nonprofit right now so that's been exciting because a lot of the videos that I do I mean my features aside I do a lot of like web series or um silly sketch comedy that's all not safe for work so um doing these videos for a nonprofit kind of make me feel like I'm doing something meaningful as well besides just um getting to play myself so I think everything is under angelalandis.com and we'll put them in the easy. show notes. That's my name. <laughs> so people will be able to find you. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> and and finally, I have three Disney-themed questions I ask every guest who comes on the show. I call them the Fab Three. So we'll start with the Donald one, which is, as a child, what Disney film was one of your favorites to see over and over again? Um. Oh, this is so easy. It was Pete's Dragon. And our goofy question, what Disney character do you think would be your best friend if you met them in person? Oh, Mickey Mouse, of course. And speaking of Mickey, our Mickey question, if I asked you to name any Disney song at this very moment, what immediately comes to mind? Oh my gosh. You know, since we were talking about Pete's Dragon, the Candle on the Water song is what's coming into my mind right now. So, Angela, thank you so much for your time. You know, 20 years have come and gone, as we've already said, but, you know, oh, it's boy. such a beautiful Yikes. film. So <laughs> I'm glad you were a part of it. You were very, very, very talented. You still are. And I love seeing you in the film. It's always fun to see you go from punk to adult. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <great. laughs> well, thank you so much for having me, Tiara. I, this is a fun podcast, and I'm so glad that you and other people appreciate the film.
The robot's here. Yeah, true. 